0: Hey, let me pray, and then we'll uh, uh, start a sermon today. God, we pray that we we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we say that not simply as a doctrinal statement of truth. We say that because we know that living our lives, let alone understanding the Bible, is impossible without uh, the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, um, because it's your Holy Spirit that can open up the eyes of our hearts, open up the ears of our hearts, so we can see things and hear things that only uh, is possible by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit. So um, do that in our lives today, Holy Spirit, so we can hear and see you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So uh, start, with the, start with the one that says, who is this man? Go to, the, go to the first black, you know, who is this man? Yeah, that's the question of the day. Who is this man? Uh, it's a quote from the text we're going to look at today, but... Who is this man? Of course, this, in this situation, we'll talk about in a second, it's about Jesus. But this is a good question to ask about who is this man, About you know, in terms of what does our culture think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, most people think about people you know and work with. Most people would at least say they admire and respect Jesus. Right? They might hate Christians, and they might dislike the church, but most people will admire and respect Jesus, and that's good. But then what people often do is they kind of craft what I call crafting Jesus in their own image because to a lot of people, uh, Jesus is a great social activist. And he was. He was a great social activist. I mean, a social activist is somebody who sees the way things are and knows they need to be changed and sometimes hits it head on to bring about change. And he was a great social activist. He would rank up in the history of the world with social activists like Martin Luther King or Gandhi, right? He was a great social activist. And a lot of people love making Jesus... A social activist today. Good. He was, but he wasn't just that. And people love to just make him just that. Well, he would, Jesus would do this. Jesus would love these, you know, that kind of thing. All right? But then, then, then you also have Jesus as a great teacher. Again, we're asked the question, who is he? He was a great teacher. And people would say he ranks up there with, you know, Plato and Sigmund Freud and all these people answering the big questions of life. And... People often go to his teaching about love, and sometimes it's the only place people who will go to, and, well, Jesus loves people, so therefore everything, all the income free, everything's okay. And Jesus was a great teacher, and he did teach about love, but that wasn't exclusively that he taught about. So yeah, Jesus was a great activist, and that's, we love that, it's true, but he was also a great teacher. But if we stop there, and that's where a lot of people in our culture today, and maybe we stop there too much, it's like he it was a great activist, one of the greatest in the world, the greatest in the world, greatest teacher ever. But is that all? Is it all there is to Jesus? And who is this man? Was he just a great teacher and a great activist? And we gather on Sunday morning because we honor this great teacher and great activist? I don't think that's the only reason, because I think you would know that. So today, we've been doing a series on uh, the Gospel of Matthew called Following Jesus, There's No One Like Him. And again, there's no one like him, because when Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, that's what he's trying to communicate to people. Matthew, I mentioned this before, and we'll probably mention it even again today, he was a tax collector, which was a despised group of people in that culture. Um, He follows Jesus, unlikely follows Jesus. But the whole Gospel of Matthew he wrote to help people understand. And it's like I said, it's like this big arrow pointing to Jesus. There's nobody like him. So the Gospel of Matthew starts off, Matthew, the early part, talks about the genealogy of Jesus. So he kind of sets that. Jesus is a descendant of of Abraham. He's a descendant of King David. And then chapter 2, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. Chapter 3 and 4 Uh, um, chapter 2 is the birth of Jesus chapter 3 and 4 is the preparation of Jesus and then we've talked about this chapter 5, 6 and 7 the Sermon on the Mount is the teaching of Jesus so he answers great questions about what it means to be what does it mean to be a good person how do you become a good person he redefines goodness by the teaching of forgiving others and loving those who hurt you and things like that so Matthew's kind of built up this argument. He's, Jesus is, he's, he's, comes from King David. He fits the, he fits the predictions of the prophecy. And then his birth and his virgin birth and then his great teaching. But now, and, and then last number of weeks because of Easter, we jumped ahead to Easter. I'm saying that like it doesn't matter. The resurrection is the biggest event of human history, right? But we jumped ahead to Easter, but now we're going to go back. So now in chapter 8 and 9... Matthew starts talking about Jesus in a whole different way, not just his teaching, but now he talks about, go to the next slide, he, it's supernatural stuff. Jesus is displaying his authority through supernatural power, and Matthew records it this way. So we've looked at his, Jesus' his background, his birth, his genealogy, his teaching, and now eight and nine is like this boom, 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 boom of supernatural events that Matthew's wanting us to see. Because Jesus is more than an activist and a teacher. He's got this supernatural authority and he, he does things. All right? And we're not going to read through them all, but in chapter 8 and 9, there are at least, depending on how you count them, at least 10 supernatural healings. And there's one supernatural event. Let me just kind of go through them real quick. Because again, this is Matthew. And so he starts off this way Matthew chapter 8 starts off this we we'll go to the next slide all right read with me the first verse of chapter 8 all right here we go large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside all right this he just got to teaching someone on the mountain he came down the mountainside all right now at the end of Matthew 9 so we've got start of 8 all the way to the end of 9 read the end of 9 with me all right Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness, all right? So, the start of eight, he came down the mountainside. The end of nine, just kind of says he traveled around. But in between, this yellow line, in between, all kinds of stuff happens. And, and, and Matthew's obviously recording it, and he puts the, you know, like anybody who tells stories, he can organize the stories in a certain way to have maximum impact. But this, in between these two bookends, Stuff happens, all right? Let me just go through them. Starts off with a man with, man, a man with leprosy is healed by Jesus. He touches a man. The man comes and kneels before Jesus. Not supposed to do that if you're a leper. Jesus touches him. You're not supposed to do that, but Jesus heals this guy. Then the next, the next, this is like bang, bang, bang. There's a Roman officer who has a servant. Romans were hated by the Jews. He has a servant who's sick. He comes to Jesus. He pleads with Jesus about his servant being paralyzed. Jesus heals him. Jesus heals Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. She has a really high fever. Peter, Jesus goes to the house and touches her. He heals her. Then we read that after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and he cast out the demons. Many sick people were brought to him, and he healed them. So we're already, boom, 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 just all these supernatural happenings. Then there's this fierce storm. This is the only one in the events that's not a, uh, healing. there's a fierce storm. All the disciples are in the boat. All these guys over here are in the boat coming across Lake, the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're, they think they're going to die. And Jesus, of course, you might know the story, sleeping in the back of the boat. They start shouting at Jesus. We're going to die. Jesus, do something. We're going to die. He said the storm was fierce. And Jesus stands up and it says he rebukes. The winds and the waves, and he tells his disciples, oh, you of little faith. But he rebukes the winds and the wave, and it says immediately things became calm. And that's where the disciples, and well i will talk about this in a second more, they say, who, who is this man? Who is this guy? I mean, they were even shocked. They, they heard him teach, and they've seen him do a few things, but now it's like, whoa, who is this guy? Then two demon-possessed men who come to Jesus screaming, and Jesus casts the demons into pigs who run down the hills. There's a paralyzed man that's brought to Jesus. This is all in, the, in the, between these two bookends. Paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. Jesus heals him. He says, take your mat and get up. There's a synagogue leader who has a daughter who's died. A synagogue leader The fact that he came to Jesus was totally threatening his career because the Jewish leaders didn't like that he comes to Jesus my daughter's died can you do anything he kneels before Jesus Jesus raises the daughter from the dead there's a woman who'd suffered for 12 years from bleeding who reaches out to touch Jesus she's healed there's two blind men that have shouting after Jesus that he would and he heals them and then the end of chapter 9, there's a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak. Jesus cast out the demon. So it's like all these supernatural events where something... Jesus is displaying something now more than just great teaching about how to have a good life and be a good person. But now he's showing this authority he has on earth through supernatural, clearly supernatural activity. And what's interesting is when you look at our, at our culture today... People love the social activity of Jesus. He's an activist. He's a teacher. This is where a lot of people will start drawing the line. Well, you know, we don't know if those things really happen. If they didn't happen, we're wasting our time in church on Sunday morning because Jesus was simply a great teacher and a great social activist. The gospel writers record these events as if they happened, and we believe they do. They happened. He transcended natural laws and heal people, stop the winds and the waves. So just to go through some of these, I'm going to, I thought I'd just take four different lines from this, these two chapters, and we'll just look at them, all right? So the first one is this, who is this man? I just told you that. The disciples were like, they were freaking out because of the storm. It said the winds were smashing the boat, the waves were smashing over the side of the boat, and Jesus stands up, rebukes the winds and the waves, and their response is, as I think yours and eyes would be, who, who is this? And these guys were already following Jesus. So they knew he was special. Now he does this. Who is this man? Next one. That's blasphemy. You can guess who said this. It was these guys over here. Because what happened was uh, someone was brought to Jesus. This is all in this scope of 8 and 9. Someone was brought to Jesus. Uh, who's paralyzed, and the man is brought before Jesus. Of course, the Pharisees are always watching Jesus. They must have, I mean, who knows, maybe they were assigned to who had, who had Jesus' watch time, but they're always watching Jesus. This paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just heal the guy. The first thing he says was, be encouraged, my son, your sins are forgiven. One, he, he knew what the man needed, but he also knew the audience. And the Pharisees are like, ah, that's blasphemy. Nobody forgives sins but God. And they're just beside themselves. Who does he think he is? Does he think he's God? Of course, they don't, they don't really think that's a legitimate question. But it's blasphemy. And they're just, and so Matthew's recording all these quotes, all these, and this is again, like I said in the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees, people often say your your character is known by who your enemies are, right? And the religious elite, drenched in religious arrogance, they're just shocked at what Jesus said. And then Jesus says, and he knows what they're saying, he heard what they said, and he says, oh, okay, well, yeah, I forgave his sins, but just so you know that I have authority on the earth to do that. He looks at the man and says, take up your mat and get up. And he gets up and he walks. Because Jesus was highlighting, I have authority. I have authority on earth, not just to forgive sins, but it's displayed by the power I have to tell this guy to get up and walk. So again, and with a lot of these stories, the people were amazed and his fame spread, and Matthew's recording all this. You, could, you can could see Matthew probably being excited, writing all this down. Okay, the next one. Go to the next slide. It's another great. You can tell. You can guess right away who probably said this one. Same group of people. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? So there was a big dinner party at Matthew's house. Matthew recorded this gospel. He probably had some firsthand exposure to what he heard being said. Matthew is a tax collector. He was a low life, according to the Jewish people, because he worked for the Romans. He was hated. But then he has this big party at his house for Jesus, and it said it was Matthew and other notorious sinners. Depending on what version of the Bible you read, they'll translate it differently. Disreputable sinners, notorious sinners. But the assumption is there were other tax collectors there. One of the Gospels talks about prostitutes being there. So it was, it was notorious sinners, and Jesus went in to have dinner with them. And the Pharisees, they are already upset about the whole healing and forgiving, and that's blasphemy. And now they say, why does he ask the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he do that? And again, you can see, as Matthew's writing this stuff down, you know, 30 years after it happened or whatever, He's wanting people to understand, this, this Jesus guy, there's no one like him. He loves sinners. He hangs out with people who nobody else thinks we should hang out with. Not that, he's, not that Jesus is confirming their lifestyle. Of course he's not. But he's showing mercy, which was not even part of the equation of the religious elite. And again, I'm saying, yeah, my picture's still up here. We can all be that way. We can all be lacking in mercy, but Jesus is saying, No, these people are worth my time. They're worth my they're worth my love. They're worth my mercy. But they were just so flipped out over this. Why does he eat with such scum? Last one. Nothing like this has ever happened. Now this is the crowds talking. So we had the disciples saying, Who is this man? after he stilled the storm. We have the Pharisees. Oh, that's blasphemy. Why does each for such scum? Then the crowds, they had just witnessed a blind man, or two blind men being healed. This is again chapter 8 and 9. And then a demon-possessed man, the scripture says a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak. And it says Jesus cast out the demon and the man spoke right away. Of course, the Pharisees say, well, he can only do that. He can cast out demons because he works for Satan, which is kind of like, can't find anything else to say, so we'll figure it. But then the crowds, they're like, since the crowds were amazed, amazement swept through the crowds. And they say, nothing like this has ever happened. So it's like, you see Matthew's just building this over and over. Jesus is so unique. He's a great teacher, great activist, but he has power. He has power unlike any human being that's ever walked the earth. And and this whole chapter 8 and 9, he's showing us this. And this is the thing I thought, for me, was the most interesting thing as I'm reading through chapter 8 and 9. About all these, he just packs all these miracle stories in there. Right in the middle of all this, we have this line. And it's Jesus, follow me and be my disciple, it's Jesus talking to Matthew. So I'm thinking, and I, 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 I kind of had a warm, not kind of, I did have a warm place in my heart for Matthew when I was looking at this this week, because I thought, here Matthew's telling all these incredible stories, then right in the middle, he's telling his own story. I mean, most of Matthew, some of the times he may not have been at the events, but he got eyewitness accounts and recorded all this. There's a good chance that his tax collector booth was nearby the Sea of Galilee, because they often tax fishermen. So he may have seen some of these miracles, or he at least heard about them. I mean, if a miracle if Galilee region wasn't very big, it's think about like Monroe County, and things happen, and Matthew's hearing these things, and he's an outsider looking in because he's not even welcome to be in the crowds, probably, because he's such a disreputable person working for the Roman government. But then he simply, and I, I'm, I'm, imagining, I'm imagining in my mind's eye, Matthew, as he's recording this, right in the middle of all these stories, he writes down, this is from chapter nine, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's talking about himself. A man named Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And then this, this next line, I thought Matthew had to, have emotion when he wrote this. The next line, all he says was, so Matthew got up and followed him. I, I can't imagine Matthew's excitement when he was recounting his story. Because he's, he's, he's saying, yeah, this is Jesus. Lineage straight from King David. He's the Messiah. He had this supernatural birth, and he taught these great things. And now he has all these great acts of power But in the midst of it all, Matthew's saying, and he called me. He wanted me to follow him. It's almost like he's probably thinking to myself, I I still can't believe it. He called me. All my life, now I'm I'm being that Matthew. All my life I've been an outsider. I've been spit on by my countrymen. I'm not even allowed to go into the synagogue. I can't do anything religious because I'm, I'm considered too dirty, too unclean. And Jesus called me. He called me. I mean, he, And always, he always refers to himself as the tax collector. Because he's reminding other people, that's who I was. And so Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. And again, that's why this whole series in Matthew, I'm just calling it Follow Me. Because Jesus says that a lot. And now Matthew is kind of offering personal testimony. Yes, Jesus has power. He has incredible power to heal people. This guy is different than any other teacher or activist we've ever had. He has power. And he called me. And it just made me think about the kind of people, I thought about suggesting this for the Your Story Matters question, but I thought it'd be too long, of asking all of us, when did Jesus call you? And you know your story, and you know the good, bad, and ugly, but he called me. He called Judy. He called Terry. He called us. In the midst of stuff that maybe, like I said, good, bad, and ugly, but this incredible activist, teacher, and now powerful Lord of the universe called me. He wants me to follow him, and he wants me to be his disciple. He wants you to be his disciple. And, and, again, he's, it's, it's, a, it's incredible how he's recording all this, and he gets incredibly personal and intimate for us, his readers, to realize, oh, he's, Jesus isn't just this God way out there that we have to use the and now language. He, Matthew's like, he called me. In the midst of all this storytelling, he includes that in there. And it's just, uh, like I said, the whole chapter 8 and 9 is mostly about miracle stories, and then Matthew puts himself right in the middle. So, this, again, the challenge again, as always, is, go to the next slide, Jesus' challenges to follow him. And, and maybe you'll say, and sometimes I want, I'm here at church, I'm following Jesus, but no, there's Jesus, to follow Jesus often, if not always, also means obeying him in very unique ways. All the ways he talks about forgiving others and, and uh, Doing good to those who hate you, and those kind of things, and how we handle our money, and when he talks to us, do we do what he's asking us to do? And then I actually, I actually cheated a little bit, or maybe I'll say I lied to you at the, at the very first slide, the second slide where I talked about the end of Mark chapter or Matthew chapter nine, where it's talked about his healing. It actually ends with another short paragraph that I didn't include, but I thought. This is how Matthew actually ends this miracle telling two chapter story. This is what he says, in, or Matthew, sorry, Matthew. And when, and when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And now we're assuming Matthew was probably there. He'd already been called, he was listening. Um, the har- and then he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. You know what Matthew is trying to tell us with this thing? Jesus has power, winds and waves and leprosy and blindness and demons. He has power. But he is so, so merciful and tender because he sees people as confused and helpless. Not in a condescending way, not like others so confused and helpless. But he sees people living a life where there is a spiritual confusion and a helplessness, and they're just they're running the rat race with the rest of the culture, and Jesus sees that's not gonna lead them anywhere. And I'm saying that because yes, Jesus called us, but what does it mean for us to have that kind of mercy for people you and I know? You know, we've talked about praying for people that don't know Jesus that God would call them and stir them and maybe I'm uniqueness I don't think I am but there's people in my life during the week that they just irritate me I mean, or, or people that I think oh they're so far from God but then when I read with Jesus last words here no they he had compassion because they were confused and helpless he wasn't irritated because they were confused and helpless he wasn't like Exasperated, they're confused and helpless. He had compassion on them because they really didn't know where they were going. And you might people think of the people that you that when you if you've been here the Sundays I've asked you to pray for people. They're confused and helpless, and it's not a condescending thing. Jesus says that they don't know where they're going. I mean, they may have a PhD, but they're confused and helpless. They may look like they have it all together, but you know, because you may know them well enough to know they don't really have it all together, they're really, at the deepest core, they're confused and helpless. And so through all this power encounter stuff Matthew's doing, he ends this section with the compassion of Jesus for people. Yes, he has power, incredible power. He can change people's lives with that power. But the power of his compassion is equally impelling compelling because he just sees people differently so maybe this week when you're around people that irritate you or you drive by somebody or somebody irritates you on the road i don't know just remind yourself or let the spirit of jesus remind you compassion for people because they're confused and helpless because we want them we want to have the same kind of billboard that matthew has no there's no one like jesus there's no one like jesus So uh, let's pray. So Jesus, for the most part, I'm assuming most of us, we read about and we believe the supernatural work of your miracles. But for most of us, we haven't had firsthand eyewitness experience of that dramatic events. But we believe they happen. We do have firsthand experience of the dramatic supernatural work you've done in our hearts in calling us, even in ways you've shaped us since we've been following you, ways you've transformed our hearts. We have first-person experience of that. We see it. We know it. But we, we don't simply want to be grateful that we follow you. We do want you, Jesus, encourage us to pray to the Lord of Harvest to send out people, but that's us. And we want to have the same compassion that you have for people Seeing them as confused as helpless, not being irritated by them, not being exasperated by them. They're not our enemies. We're not, we're not supposed to be hostile toward them. Um, but we ask that you have compassion. And we know you can give us compassion because you're powerful and you can do anything. So we pray for that compassion in our own hearts, for others. And again, would you even etch deep in our hearts that we follow you because there is no one like you. And we're not just following you because it's one way to know God. We are following you because there is no one like you. There is no one who points us to God like you. No one even close. Your teaching, your social activism, but, and your power. Um, there's no one like you. So as we follow you, um, would we also become like you in your compassion and your tenderness and your mercy? Uh, toward those who don't know you, and would that use that in us to draw them to you, Jesus, because that's what you said you'd do. You said you, the Father, draws them to you, and uh, we love you, Jesus, and we ask this on your name, Amen.